Welcome to the Alabaster Jar, a weekly conversation where we take on current issues impacting women at the intersection of faith, theology, and ministry. We are pleased to offer Alabaster Jar as a podcast of Northern Seminary. As we continue our Advent series today, our host, Dr. Lynn Koek, is joined by Dr. Mirto Theaharis. Mirto is professor of Hebrew and the Old Testament at the Greek Bible College in Athens, Greece. She earned her master's at Wheaton College and received her PhD at Cambridge University. Mirto is the author of Lexical Dependence and Intertextual Illusion in the Septuagint of the Twelve Prophets. As we think about Christmas uh, around the globe, I'm excited to talk with my friend and Old Testament professor, Mirto, about her experience growing up in Cyprus at, in the Greek Orthodox Church and now living in Athens uh, with uh, some short stops in Chicago and in Cambridge. So, Merto, thank you so much for talking with the listeners of Alabaster Jar about just what Christmas was like. Take us back to your childhood and reflect on what Christmas meant there in Cyprus. Well, thank you. It's so nice to be here and talk with you. Uh, I'd love to share some things about Christmas in Cyprus. Um, so I grew up in a, a Greek Orthodox context, but also in the evangelical context, as my mom was evangelical. Uh, so I experienced a little bit of both. I remember spending a lot of Christmases in our village in Paphos. A lot of you New Testament scholars know Paphos. Uh, so that's my uh, father's birthplace. We went to the village and we spent time there with uh, relatives. We would go to the church in Christmas. And of course, everything involved a lot of food. Um, there, there are big outdoor ovens that we, we had and people, wood ovens, and people would burn wood until the ovens were really, really hot and they would put different kinds of foods there for Christmas. Uh, a lot of the foods usually consisted of lamb, uh, and, uh, different breads that they would make. Um, so this is something I remember very vividly, uh, the food and the celebrations that we all gathered together, all the relatives to, to celebrate around food. <laughs> and you all watched Big Fat Greek Wedding, of course, so you know <laughs> all of that. That's yes. right. <laughs> um, yeah. The roasting outside, all the cooking of the meat is done outdoors. So a lot of roasting on a spin and all of that. Of course, we have uh, specific Christmas sweets that we make every year. One is called curapiedes, which is like this uh, cookies with a lot of uh, powdered sugar on top. Uh, and the other one is called melomacarona, which is another sweet that has a lot of honey on top, a lot of syrup and nuts. So they're very different, but uh, every year we have to have both. Um, and that's a good choice. I think when you're talking about cookies and Christmas cookies, more is definitely exactly. better. You don't want to have to choose. <laughs> totally yeah. agree. Um, so we, we have the regular things that you would find in other countries. We decorate the tree. We put uh, gifts under the tree for everyone. We all exchange gifts. But of course, we don't have Santa Claus. Uh, at the place of Santa Claus, we have St. Basil. So St. Basil is the one who comes and brings the gifts and he comes on New Year's Day. 
because that's the feast of St. Basil. Um, so as you know, St. Basil was very famous for uh, building hospitals and orphanages, so he's very associated with kids and you know gifts and well-being and all of that. So he's the saint that uh, is celebrated on that day. And for his feast, we all make on New Year's Eve, we make a pie that we call St. Basil's pie. And in this pie, every family will put uh, a coin inside the pie. We wrap it in foil and we put it in the batter. And when the cake is baked, we all have to cut this cake in different, different pieces, all the members of the family and the guests. And whoever discovers this coin in their piece is the lucky person of the year or the blessed person of the year. Uh, but what's very interesting about this pie is that you, the first piece that you cut is the piece of Christ. So this belongs to Christ. And then you start cutting a piece for the house, a piece for the uh, owner of the house and the lady of the house, and you go on by age. And um, what is most interesting about this is that if a stranger comes to the house, if anyone knocks the door, the piece that belongs to Christ is given to the stranger. So That's this beautiful. relates again to something we were talking about, the image of God and the association of Christ with the poor, the image of God with the poor. This identification, I see it also in some of these ancient traditions that we have. The peace that belongs to Christ is the peace that will fit the poor, that will fit the stranger. So one, they are one and the same. They're associated completely. So this is something that I, I really love every year, this uh, this symbolism that happens in this pie. So, yeah, so these are some of the um, uh, fun memories I have and we continue to do every year. And, of course, the, uh, the church service that we go on uh, uh, Christmas Day. We, uh, sometimes we have candlelit service on uh, Christmas Eve. So we have uh, sometimes this tradition as well. And I have to mention again that um, an additional uh, information that now I am married to a Coptic Christian and we have two Christmases because we also celebrate Coptic Christmas and that's celebrated on the 6th of January. Uh, so it's a different day. Well, that's very smart to have two Christmases. Exactly. I think, way to go. Yes, yeah, yes, way to go. double parties and more food. <laughs> it's not always mm -hmm, good. There but... you go. Yeah, I knew you were brilliant <laughs> from the time I met you those years you ago. See? I thought, this, this woman is really yes, smart. Yes, yes. Uh, so tell us a little about Coptic Christmas. Yeah, yeah. so um, it's very different because uh, celebrating Christmas in a Muslim country is very... Um, uh, low key, you know, there's no decorations everywhere and there's no, uh, you know, time off or uh, any of that. But the people uh, are in the church, the services go overnight, so it's many, many hours of service, worship, praises, all of that nonstop. And of course, they also have their uh, specific cookies and specific meals uh, that they all share. Um, Christmas is not a huge holiday for the Orthodox traditions. Um, 
initially it was the epiphany that was the big feast um, so um, Christmas was uh, you know added on in a sense later or uh, gained some more importance later but the most important feast in the Orthodox tradition was the Epiphany and we keep this also um, in, um, in, in Cyprus and Greece I remember in Cyprus that on Epiphany Day, we have to go to our relatives, the kids of each house. They go to their relatives, usually grandparents. And we, uh, we say a little poem that, good morning, this is the Feast of the Lights and all of that, and uh, give us your gifts. And so they, the grandparents give some money to the uh, children for Epiphany. So this is, uh, yeah, something... Um, uh, that has a lot of importance in the Orthodox tradition. Yeah, and that an Epiphany Sunday um, is not necessarily celebrated so much in the evangelical mm -hmm. uh, in in the evangelical church. Remind us what uh, Epiphany what what's that what that is referring mm -hmm. to in the in the biblical story of Christ's birth. Yes, so. Um, it's the baptism of Jesus, uh, and uh, this is where, uh, I guess, um, when the father declares publicly that this is his son, and it's kind of the inauguration of the, min of the ministry of Jesus, this is the appearance of the entire trinity um, in, uh, on earth. So, uh, in a sense, it's a, it's a very big moment Christologically for the church. And so one celebration that the, the Orthodox have in Greece on Epiphany Day is that they have the liturgy uh, outdoors near some water, usually near the sea. And um, they throw the, the, a big cross that the priest is holding, he throws it in the water and all the young people of, uh, that, that are present in the liturgy they dive in to see who catches the cross. And so again, the person who catches it is the blessed person of the year, but it's, a, it's kind of a demonstration that by Christ entering the waters on that day, he blessed the waters of this world. And the waters also, in the Old Testament, they have these negative connotations of chaos, of death, um, and any kind of power that is contrary, opposing to, to God, Christ. So the, the presence of Christ in the waters is the blessing and the, the taming or the reconciliation of Christ with creation and the waters of chaos. So um, this is what is celebrated on the Epiphany by this, uh, this act of the cross in the waters. And... Wow. So as I think about your holiday season, you've got the four weeks of Advent, then you have Christmas, then you have New Year's, and then is, is Epiphany around like that week after uh, New Year's, that first Sunday? Yes, exactly. Exactly. On the 7th um, of January, I think, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so yeah. it is the week after, and uh, that's why this explains why some churches celebrate Christmas on the 6th and the 7th. The Armenian church uh, celebrates on the 7th 
because this was their epiphany celebration and then they matched Christmas onto that. Uh, so they retained this, uh, this date. Um, but yeah, they are all kind of merged together now. <laughs> and then with you, you also have the Coptic celebration. So you are one very, um, well, I was going to say busy, but in a worshipful way and also eating, it sounds like, you know, you, you just nonstop through December and mid-January. But you know what? That kind of sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> yes, it's great, actually. Um, well, there's a lot of fasting before uh, the Christmas happens, the Christmas celebrations. So especially in the Coptic tradition and Greek Orthodox tradition, uh, there's 40 days of fasting. So uh, they kind of earn all this eating at the end. <laughs> Okay, that's good. That's good. You know, you mentioned about the Trinity um, and in relation to Epiphany and remembering that and uh, and the Christology that's so uh, in, embedded in all of these um, all of these festivals. Um, as an Old Testament professor, what what kind of um, passages would do you turn to or stories in the Old Testament that help you? understand uh, Christmas and Christology better? What, what should we be aware of in the Old Testament that helps us celebrate Christmas more faithfully? Oh, wow, this is, this is a very good question because it's very hard to pick one thing in the Old Testament that points to Christ and his coming. I guess all of it is, <laughs> is appropriate because uh, the, the more you read of the Old Testament and you see what humanity has been anticipating, I guess it's all crystallized in the birth of Christ. It's finally the moment uh, that uh, Simeon, I guess, in the temple when he sees the child and says, finally, you know, I see the salvation that God has been preparing for the nations before me. So this is what the whole of the Old Testament has been looking at. All these texts about the justice of the poor, the oppressions, the king who is coming to bring justice, um, the, the desire of the nations, the reconciliation of God and his people, all of this, they, they just get, you know, you finally get to see the fulfillment in the New Testament. Um, a few years ago, I was asked to, um, to preach um, in a women's uh, Christmas meeting about the, the message of Christmas. And I, I chose this text from Micah about Bethlehem, uh, you little town of Bethlehem, you know. And uh, for me, this is also special because even this city uh, was not like a major city in the map of history. It was a very humble kind of unknown history, but it, it was it, a known city. And it was kind of a city that uh, it was able to produce the Messiah, in a sense, the Messiah of, of the world, first David, and then uh, the, the place uh, that Jesus was born. So uh, it has so, so many symbolic meanings for me that out of the humble, uh, this, this unknown town, uh, Jesus chose to be born. The king chose this city to be born. And this also has connections with the choice of Mary as a, a humble teenage girl 
that God has chosen to bring the king of this world, you know, uh, into being. So uh, this connection about the king of the world and the most humble, the most unknown, the most neglected of all, this, this, this connection and the choice of God to work in history and in humanity through the least uh, it's something that is very moving to me and it's very important to me. So I find this in, in various texts in the Old Testament, but in particular, this text about Bethlehem, I, it always moves me. Oh, that is beautiful. Yeah, I'll, I will think of that text in a very new way. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing about your uh, just your life in celebrating uh, Christmas. It's been very enriching. I'll, I'll um, enjoy my Christmas much better uh, having heard just all the, all the different ways the people of God down through the ages have celebrated the birth of our Lord. It's great. Yeah. Thank you so much, Merto, for joining us on the Alabaster oh, you're Jar. You're welcome. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Alabaster Jar podcast. If you enjoyed our conversation with Dr. Mirto Theoharis, you can learn more about her work in today's episode description. We've enjoyed this Advent series with you as we have explored Advent and Christmas traditions and experiences from around the world. And we here at the Alabaster Jar want to wish you and yours a very Merry Christmas. It has been a great journey with you this year, and we will be back next week with another brand new episode. So be sure to subscribe, share, and join us back here next Tuesday at the Alabaster Jar.